0: Hello, and welcome to Two Sharp Chefs and a Microphone. I'm Lorraine Moss, and this is Louis Victor. And we are happy to be here to talk to you about all things culinary. Um, Our first topic of our first podcast ever is what's the world like post Anthony Bourdain, especially for those like us who uh, walk in this crazy culinary world (laughs) that we're in. Um, obviously he was a badass, um, iconic chef, globe trotter, going to places we all wish we could go to, uh, journalists, even though he always said, Oh no, I'm not a journalist. Clearly he was a journalist. Um, I would say he was kind of like a culinary gangster,
1: Definitely. Um, <laughs> and you know what? The, the thing is, like, the humble beginnings of Anthony Bourdain. Like, he started off. Like as, all of us. Like all of us. Just like as a kitchen rat. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, I'm going to start, before we do a little intro um, of ourselves, you know, tell you a little bit about us, I want to start with a quote. Um, it's one that, you know, is passed around a lot in memes, um, in gifts. You see it everywhere, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, It's one about traveling. It's also one about just opening your eyes to new things. He says, quote, if I'm an advocate for anything, it's to move as far as you can, as much as you can, across the ocean or simply across the river, walk in someone else's shoes or at least eat their food. It's a plus for everyone. So Louie and I have made a career of uh, eating other people's food and making food for other people. Uh, Just want to talk a little bit about ourselves before we go on to this super topic of Anthony Bourdain and the amazing things he did did for our industry. Uh, Lou, first, uh, you know, what kind of got you to uh, do this crazy thing that we do, cook for other people professionally?
1: I think I already had a love for it at a very young age. You know, I remember stamping out my first biscuits when I was like six with a little toaster oven. And, <laughs> yeah, and like making mud pies when I was three. It was one of my first memories. Mm-hmm. So it was all tied in. And then one of my fondest memories was looking up at my dad cooking like in front of a stove. And I won't forget that. And so I think when it came time for me to pick a career, it kind of was just kind of like natural. Plus, my mom said, you know, pick a career where it's like sustainable. You know, people eat. People need to eat. Everybody has to. Exactly. (laughs) And that that's that process is not going to stop. It's not going to go away. So, yeah, that's what kind of got me into hospitality management school. And a little bit about
0: where you kind of started and you know a little bit of your trajectory like chronologically you know
1: yeah well I basically went to a hospitality management school in the Philippines and I moved to San Francisco and then I kind of just like trapezeed from kitchen to kitchen and you know like San Francisco was like a very expensive city to be in couldn't live there with like a meager cook's paycheck tell me about it yeah so um I decided to moved to Las Vegas and, you know, cause it was a one-stop shop. Like everybody was opening their kitchens. Every prominent chef was opening their kitchens in the strip and it's quite like no other. Cause, um, we have like high volume concepts here. I mean, we do numbers that are unheard of in the rest of the world.
0: For sure. I yeah. mean, it's not uncommon for people to do a
1: thousand covers a night. Right. So I wanted to, um, get that kind of experience. So I moved here and then, you know, spent some time with the different properties, Mandalay Bay a little bit, you know, the Venetian a little bit and the Win for a long time. So at the Win, I basically took a videography and a photography course. Mm-hmm. And that kind of like led me into becoming a food photographer. And as well as a chef. and now I'm taking photographs for Eater Las Vegas. Nice. And
0: cooking wise, I don't even know if I know the answer to this question. I obviously know that you cooked Spanish food because that's where we met, working for Jose and dress at Bazaar Meat uh, at SLS, Las Vegas. But what are some other cuisines that you've been cooking in your career? or is it kind of everything? or
1: it's kind of everything. I think like for every kitchen that I got into and worked in, I take a little bit of that. So there's like a little bit of French, a little bit of Japanese, a little bit of American. And after a certain point, uh, you just kind of like cook with all of those, you know, knowledge, pillars of knowledge in place. So really, I'm like a culinary mutt. Yeah. I don't like I don't have an allegiance to one certain form of cuisine. And
0: in my opinion, that's kind of the best way to go, because that's how you develop yourself and decide, and understand what your concept is, because you can't know that if you haven't tried other things. Exactly. So my trajectory is uh, very different than Louise. Mm -hmm. Uh, You started a lot younger than me. Uh, You have more years of experience than I do in the culinary industry, uh, at least professionally. Uh, I, too, uh, remember – I actually remember my grandma uh, cooking when I was little, and that's kind of like one of my first – memories of being in a kitchen and smelling and tasting and seeing how things put together. Uh, My grandma was one of those people that I love who just kind of works like a dance in the kitchen and and doesn't really think about like recipes or like, you know, like what's the best way to do it? And of course, back then, you know, you couldn't just like Google like shortbread recipe, you know, like the way that you can do now. She would just, uh, this is how gangster she was. And also, you know, she, uh, many years ago, she didn't have a lot of money, like a lot of us, how we start. And she, and also she didn't believe in waste, which is something that we'll talk about later in later podcasts. We all worry about that. But she worried about it, you know, in like the 40s and 50s, long before it became a thing. Uh, She, (laughs) this is what I remember. She actually used crumbs from the bottom of the toaster. As like breading, breading. for like. That's genius. Chicken Hey, that's genius. I mean, some might find that disgusting and weird. And I didn't know any better. So I was like, ooh, okay. Like, you know, she was like recycling and reusing. Right. Long before it was cool. Um, I, I don't know what just made me think of that. But that's kind of like, I remember that kind of stuff where yeah. it's just like, what is she doing? Oh, that's interesting. You know, and I didn't know any better whether it was good or bad or, you know, funny or weird or not. Because I was, that's. All I knew was, "Hey, this is how you make breading." But
1: <laughs> hey, that's that's genius, actually. <laughs> but those Super. are the things that I remember. <laughs> she must have really toasted a lot of bread.
0: Yeah, she like breaded <laughs> everything, you know, just like chicken, fish. That way, it's kind of hilarious. Yeah, like oh, croquettes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> breaded potatoes.
0: It's a carbs on carbs. Kind oh, of yeah. <laughs> um, they really didn't care about them back then yeah. at all. Well, no. Actually, probably a lot of cultures, they still don't. It's our culture that's obsessed with that. Yeah. Uh, So that's what I remember of cooking. Uh, And then, you know, just coming from like a multicultural background, just like you, you know, it's just all these different smells and these different kinds of people with different kinds of food. Uh, It's more like that today. But growing up, you know, I was kind of a weirdo because, you know, have this Latin background, Asian background and born in America for me, it's like kids thought you were weird because you got all this weird food nowadays it's cool like you bring like you know sushi to school or lumpia they're like dang you cool you got a cool house like but back then it was like you're weird what the hell is that times
1: have definitely changed yeah
0: i have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich what the hell is that And i had like a fish ball or
1: something (laughs) like weird right like
0: something your parents would pack that like no one's seen before like you know it's just like what is that ew gross or what is
1: fish sauce What's right smell it you know it smells like, like crap yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah so um i still think that smells like crap it tastes good it tastes but great it smells like i mean crap. it's fermented fish you're
1: crying out loud right
0: <laughs> so i started back there thinking about food and, and obviously loving food Um, uh, my whole family uh you know they're crazy food people all we do we talk about food while we're eating food it's like you know oh we're eating lunch what are we having for dinner mm-hmm. <laughs> what are we having for breakfast the next day so i come from that kind of family uh, for me, I started uh, actually in TV news, uh, was a reporter and an anchor uh, here in town in Las Vegas, but you know pretty much all across the country. I've been in the Midwest, uh, been to uh, Northern California, Southern California, uh, moved around the country doing television news and got to a point where I just couldn't do it anymore. And one day when I came home, I was just so frustrated. I think I might have even been crying that night. And my husband was like, what are you doing to yourself? (laughs) Like, you hate your job. You know, and I have the utmost respect for the the industry of journalism. I mean, for the journalists. But, um, you know, TV at that time was sort of on, you know, the cusp of becoming something more of a, a selling feature, rather. TV news, that is rather than like a place where you tell stories it kind of was just becoming this honestly especially in local news a cesspool of bad stories you know bad things that happen to good people or bad people and it was just like every night of like car chases and kidnappings and I just couldn't do it anymore it, yeah the news is depressing it can be yeah. it shouldn't be I it mean obviously you need to know stuff yeah. and you know maybe some of that stuff is not positive but it shouldn't be all negative all the time, you know. It puts people in a mindset that everything's like that and everyone's like that. So I felt sad and, and stressed out, really stressed out. Um, so my husband asked me the question that everybody should ask someone or themselves is, you know, what would you do if money wasn't an object and, um, and you know, no one paid you any money at all? What would you do? And I told him I would cook for a living. Uh, I would try to become a chef and he said well why don't you do that (laughs) and I was like can I do that I'm in my 30s like can you just change careers like that Uh, and the answer is it's possible so uh, I went to culinary school here in Las Vegas at CSN uh, College of Southern Nevada I took classes and volunteered uh, different places, and I just couldn't find a job because nobody wanted to hire a weather girl, was what they called me, even though I never did the weather in my life. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. It actually, like,
0: happened in one of the interviews.
1: But you know what? I worked at a news station, too. And, uh, yeah. well, the weather people are the best kind no, of No, they're awesome. But right.
0: he was saying it, yeah. like, talking down to me. You know, uh, like, right. you're a weather girl. And what he actually are, said that to what, me. Like, what are you doing in the yeah. kitchen? Yeah. Right. And... Uh, you're wearing makeup. No one wears makeup in a kitchen, you know. That's and it's not just like true. it's just it's. We can have long conversations about what people think, like a cook should look mm. like, or a dishwasher or a chef should look like, right? Um, because I really think that people have an idea, like in their head, about what we are, but we're all so different. Yeah, <laughs> clearly, clearly. Uh, but yeah. So I was able to finally get into a kitchen, uh, called Gallagher Steakhouse in New York, New York, and then from there, kind of after that, met you at Bizarre Meat by Jose Andres, and that's where we sort of came up with this idea many years back about doing something together. Podcast was one of the ideas. There were a lot of ideas. Um, But yeah, so I've also cooked several different kinds of cuisine, Latin, Asian, uh, American, upscale, fast casual, like kind of done not everything, not, not everything. Cause you can't do everything, yeah. <laughs> but a lot. Right. Uh, enough to like, give me a good understanding of different kinds of foods and cultures. And I'm always like hungry for like new food. You know, it's like Ethiopian and this Israeli movement, and all this stuff is so awesome nowadays like, right. that we have that chance to do that. Uh, so that's kind of where we're at. Uh, we've been in several different professional kitchens and, uh, you know, we've kind of moved back and, moved forward and all kinds of things in our culinary careers and now we're here because we feel like there's a space right now to you know really kind of explore the backstories on chef life on hospitality industry life and what it's really like to live in this world to survive in this world and to cope and well I mean the good things on the bad things there's a ton of both right Uh, and we thought that our first topic should be what the culinary landscape is like post Anthony Bourdain because he just meant so much to so many of us for many different reasons. Uh, definitely someone that we could look up to and aspire to be, uh, he was so open and he was so about bringing people together through food.
1: Right. Like if I could actually name like a quintessential like man of the world of this age, that would be Tony Bourdain. And you know, like food links us all. Like you can you can put enemies, like virtual non friends or frenemies, together in a room and have them sit down for dinner and everybody. Would That's eat. what he did. Yeah. Uh so
0: we're coming up on the one year anniversary of Anthony Bourdain's death. Actually, we're here. And you know, it's just the topics coming up again, uh, very heavily because he meant so much to so many people in the industry as well as outside as well as outside the industry. Uh, you know, uh, our boss, uh, one of our bosses, El Jefe Jose Andres, uh, Spanish chef, mm-hmm. and uh, French American chef Eric Ripert. Uh, decided that we should all get together and have this like hashtag Bourdain Day for his birthday coming up in June. And that kind of also got us to thinking like, you know, we're all kind of going to be thinking about this person as we should be and remembering, you know, the legacy that he's left. And so they had asked the world right <laughs> on Twitter and the various social media to get together and, you know, kind of share what we're doing to remember him To honor him and we feel like this is like a great way to honor him is to talk about like his life instead of his death his life and then what he's given to us you know
1: contributions for
0: sure so going back to june 8th of 2018
1: what was your reaction uh yeah because i'm i met him briefly uh during my southeast asian backpacking trip and yeah it, it was a brief encounter we were in Bali, Indonesia, actually in the outskirts. So, like, uh, we exchanged just a little bit of words, and, you know, I was just too starstruck to yeah. say anything else. <laughs> I was, uh, But, yeah, it was probably one of the greatest days of my life. For sure. I <laughs> mean, honestly, were you kind of like, who the hell am I?
0: I'm in Southeast yeah. Asia, which is, like, you know, one of those places you kind of, like, imagine Mm -hmm. Tony Bourdain to be in and you just happen to be in Bali at the same time as like a guy who's like exactly known for being in a place like that like somewhere in Asia eating noodles you know that's how I imagine him in my head even now I imagine him in heaven like eating Asian noodles you know like somewhere with chopsticks so like you walk up in him and you're like is this my life right now
1: yeah (laughs) totally and it was just you know he was just chilling under a tree there was something going on in bali that time it was some kind of festival because they were wrapping sarongs around trees so i was wearing sarong and he was wearing sarong and you got that in common (laughs) and the tree was wearing a sarong so i'm like you know what nothing could go wrong right (laughs) so yeah right so (laughs) right let's just do this but i i actually thought of not asking him to take a photo but I was like you know what I'm gonna regret this I'm going to really regret this and I'm glad I you know I did
0: thank goodness yeah did you fangirl fanboy
1: I did I did so hard I did was you like, I'm a big fan <laughs> love the books <laughs> read everyone I it so would have been like that you started my career thank you <laughs> and he was just like <laughs> yeah okay, dude yeah, yeah. chill <laughs> La- yeah right awesome <laughs> so the morning of the day that he passed i woke up to a gazillion text messages from the people that i know and who who knew that i met him and i'm like whoa whoa wait Uh, my phone never has this many messages like some 85 or 100 something that's alarming you know That's alarming right like all my contacts um yeah and then you know like i saw like a quick glimpse of it And it's like Tony Bourdain, like, what happened to your boy, Tony? Like, hey. You're you're, like, what happened? Yeah, what happened? And, you know, like, when I really let it sink in, you know, and uh, I was, like, looking from the outside, and I'm like, wow, this is how much he's connected to practical strangers. Yeah. For for people to be, you know, that alarmed and affected.
0: It's interesting because... I feel like it really hit home to me when that happened that we all kind of felt like we knew him even though we didn't Mm -hmm. and so because of his stories because of his journeys and him taking us along on those journeys of food and culture um, it just made us think that we knew him personally and so because we didn't it's like we're reaching out to people who we think maybe did, right? <laughs> and so they thought like, well, Louise got a picture with Anthony Bourdain. She just took like an amazing trip like around the world right. and she know, met right. him.
1: Oh my goodness. Like um <laughs> like we're buddies all of a sudden. Right. right? You're yeah. like, I wish. Yeah, I really wish. <laughs> you know, looking back, I would have probably spent 10 minutes just or maybe asked him like at least, "Hey, doing good?" Yeah. Yeah, just a few questions. Yeah, like from one fellow traveler to another, basically. So for me, uh,
0: I was nearly inconsolable that day. Uh, I, it happened overnight cause it was in France mm-hmm. and like by the time I got to us our time, we were, you know, we were sleeping most of us and then we woke up to the news. Right. So when I woke up, I had no idea what was happening. I hadn't looked at my phone yet. And my husband actually like walked into the room and I was so into Anthony Bourdain like, for so long that he was actually afraid to tell me the news. He had actually brought in, like, some food Uh (laughs) as, like, a coping mechanism. Um, And I was just – I could see on his face that something was really wrong, and I instantly just, like, lost it. And what's weird about that, too, is uh, just, like, recently before it happened, for some reason, it was, like, in the six months before it happened, I was really, like – trying to cover all the episodes I hadn't seen because there's, you know, like parts unknown you know, no reservations, like cook's tour. Like there's all these different things that you can like read and watch of Tony Bourdain, which of course all of us did after this too, even more, maybe, you know, um, I was trying to get through all that stuff because it was so interesting to me, you know, just everything, like the places and like, you know, just the way he talks and the way he tells stories. And I was just really like feeling Like, and I kept saying it to my husband too, before this happened, if I could just meet him one day, like that would be like one of my ultimate, you know, bucket list kind of like meeting like, you know, the president or like Oprah, Yeah, this would be on par if not even maybe superseding that given um, that I had spent so much, I felt like, (laughs) weirdly felt like I had spent so much time with them, which clearly I didn't in real life but I felt like I had and that was probably like one of the best things about him is that he made you feel like there was understanding between you even right. though I I'd never met you
1: like in every show he takes you on it's like you're tagging along like by his side you're at the table eating with them
0: or you're in the yeah. middle of a war
1: exactly so Speaking our favorite which, episodes yeah uh yours is Beirut yep 2006 and-
0: Tell me like a little bit about why that kind of just resonates with you.
1: You know, I, I grew up watching a lot of cook shows and, uh, you know, I was like, okay, Tony Bourdain, great book. Let's see how this goes. You know, um, it, it first started out as a travel and food show. Right. And it was all, you know, finding and A games. good one. A really good one. Really. Yeah. Amazing. Right. But the Beirut episode was kind of like a turning point for me where I'm like, okay, this guy's not posing anymore. Shit He's, got real. Yeah, shit got <laughs> real. There wasn't a lot of food in that episode. There no, w- no. No, no, no. They they basically landed in Beirut in the middle of a coup. And yeah. Well, on camera. On camera there were like helicopters and the yeah. militia and, and, and weapons and, yeah, <laughs> weapons and stuff. And, you know, that's, that's where I was like, okay, this guy's like a legitimate journalist. He's like in the thick of things now. Yeah. So, I mean, he's not only just trying to describe, you know, a country in terms of their food, but really it's like the whole milieu, what's on their plate, what's happening with them. He had like a commentary about that. He's uniquely
0: uh, equipped to do that, I think. Right. Maybe more so than almost anyone. Um, Because also, you know, a lot of us love food. We love to travel. These are, you know, awesome, yet sort of also frivolous things. And with him, he's got that background of like history that he's so into and like politics and news. And he's just so good at taking all that stuff and, you know, making it something that we can understand and bringing that all together. What's interesting, I think, about Bourdain in Beirut is even going through what he went through uh-huh. and maybe almost losing his life right, uh, over a TV show, he still went back again. And then he did it post. Yeah, post. Yeah, and in 2016, he went back for parts And oh, was it 2016? 2015? 2015 is when he went back That's nine years to Beirut. After, right? Yeah, but he wanted to tell those stories about food, Mm -hmm. and culture, and I think he's one of the only people that would just be like, oh, it was in the middle of a war, I'll go back to that place.
1: Right, I know.
0: Like, that's a culinary badass. Uh, CNN has also said, since his death, that he had thought about even naming his daughter Beirut. That's how much he loved that city. Wow. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, That's how much reverence he had for culture, which is just another amazing thing about uh, Tony. Yeah. My favorite episode uh, is from parts unknown, uh, Hanoi, 2016 in Vietnam. Uh, We'll never get that image out of my head of seeing the president of the United States toward the end of his presidency, showing up at some random noodle place, (laughs) hole in the wall, uh, sitting on a plastic stool, drinking a beer, slurping up noodles with Tony Bourdain, this guy is freaking awesome. Like that was the moment I was like, "Holy crap, he's sitting with President Obama, and he's super chill. Like, no big deal. You know, it's just the president of the free world. I'm gonna make him eat like a couple dollar soup with noodles <laughs> and pork." And uh, the backstory on that is like, the White House had actually asked, "Did you do you want to?" have a conversation with the president over food and he was like well yeah (laughs) yes right but and this again just kind of makes him like cooler than other people is that he was like no we're not gonna go to like some fine dining place we're not gonna go to a michelin star restaurant we're gonna do hanoi the way i would do hanoi yeah if president obama wasn't here we're gonna like sit on a plastic stool we're gonna drink a beer and we're just gonna talk about whatevs so
1: it was his idea
0: yeah, it was his no idea way. to do it that way. Yeah,
1: it's great.
0: Uh, the way that Obama remember, remember remembers it, that day on June 8th, uh, 2018, he actually tweeted early in the morning, low plastic stool, cheap but delicious noodles, cold Hanoi beer. That's how I'll remember Tony. He taught us about food, but more importantly, about its ability to bring us together, to make us a little less afraid of the unknown. We'll miss him. And the president makes a lot of great points there. Uh, obviously... He, his whole career, Anthony Bourdain, uh, showed us that food could bring us together. I love that part where he says, to make us a little less afraid of the unknown. And it's Mm -hmm. like the show, parts unknown. Right. And I mean, for sure, I can say for myself that I have considered and planned trips around thinking about where he's gone and the experiences he's
1: had. There should be a Tony Bourdain tour. But then again, you know, I feel like he educated us on how to really explore a place and culture and through food and people that we can actually do that on our own and he glorified
0: street food i think before anybody else you know like the street food is like a thing now you know it's been a thing for a while right but in all honesty how much did anthony bourdain have to do with that i'm sure a lot yeah Because, I mean, he would go to cultures, whether it's, you know, something that we're totally, we know, like New York City or San Francisco. He's gone to those places, Los Angeles. But, you know, he would also take us to some completely random place. Like, no one thinks about, I mean, let's be honest, no Americans are like, oh, I wonder what food's like in Beirut. Right. Like, they're just not, it's not something that you think about normally. But he was like, I'm going to take you there, and I'm going to make it cool, and I'm going to make it interesting. And then at the end of the episode, you're going to be like, Maybe right. I want to go to Beirut for exactly,
1: food, right. <laughs> Well, basically, he opened like all these doors to all these like beautiful places, right? And, and kind of like made us feel a little bit safer in them. Like, hey, I'm eating; you could eat here, and, yeah. You know, like you can meet all these people, these cool people too. So that, in a nutshell, I think that's what he did throughout his whole career, for sure. And I think that you know, most people on the street
0: they remember and revere him for those travels on TV. For many of us, it goes back to Kitchen Confidential, mm-hmm. the book. Um, interestingly enough, even though I had gone through what I, I had gone through from going from career to career, I had not read Kitchen Confidential, I'll be completely honest, right? until, you know, recently. yeah. And um, I knew about it, and I had read excerpts from it, you know, over the years because it's something that people – do sometimes study in culinary school? It's definitely what people refer to. Um, I would make the argument that we, everyone that works in a kitchen before and or during, should read this book. Exactly. Um, tell me about like your experiences with Kitchen Confidential, like what it meant yeah. to you.
1: Well, you know, um, I was fresh out of school when it came out. I was at an airport and I saw, you know, I saw it just displayed on, you know, the front stands, bestsellers. And I was like, oh, you know what? Let me pick this up. This seems interesting. There's, it's about a chef. <laughs> right? He's, got a, right, he's, he's got, got a knife. He's got a chef coat. Well, I don't I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> well, anyway, like, dude, when I just started reading it, I was just so engulfed in the world that he painted for me. Like, I was like, oh, my God, yes, I want this. Life. I mean, looking back, it's not. As glamorous as i thought it once was but for sure but you know it's we do it all for the glory as young cooks but yeah uh so i read it and it became kind of like a a, a cornerstone in my career that's where i kind of built my career like i knew what to expect i knew what shenanigans was i I was going to get into and and all that and this guy painted it so colorfully that you know it, it was never done before in you know a book for sure it
0: wasn't ever so realistic I would say for me it's a it's a tome to professional cooking and I wish I had read it in culinary school or at least you know during my first job or before my first job would have been perfect Uh (laughs) Um, in the beginning he talks so much about you know, going in and feeling like you're so cool, you know, like I got my chef coat, I got my apron, I'm going to like kill it on the line. And then he goes in there and he gets his ass kicked like every single one of us, um, especially in the beginning. But now I get my ass kicked sometimes too. I mean, but he just really, like you said, painted that picture that was so realistic, you know, one in which, you know, you go in thinking that you're so cool and then you just get pounded
1: and you realize you suck yeah <laughs> like he painted that world and made it look super cool yeah like i don't think that's ever been done before like there's another volume that came out marco pierre white's um is it devil in the kitchen oh yeah 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 yeah. that's pretty good too i have not actually read that yeah i i've always seen people in those t-shirts
0: you know like that marco t-shirt yeah. like where it's like him with like the crazy hair and stuff
1: right uh, it's a good good read uh but going back to kitchen confidential it's just dude it's just the bible basically for sure yeah right and for
0: me like i felt like it was so many in many parts funny uh huh cuz it's just like ah, oh, that's happened to me like yep. whatever it is you know uh it was so honest there's so many parts where he talks about you know like his foibles and like the issues that he had you know with drinking and drugs and and that just lifestyle of like basically he called it piracy like <laughs> he was just like we're all pirates yeah apparently it's like these people with like you know you know nose rings and earrings and tattoos, tattoos. you know and like tattoos yeah and like <laughs> right. just kind of like pillaging you know <laughs>
1: like it, it's it's great it's a great picture right um speaking of which like i'm we're looking at kitchen confidential right now the cover and tony bourdain doesn't have any tattoos as a young chef
0: yeah Back but he does day. have that kind of like
1: pirate look with like the that the knife yeah that he that he that has knife, is not like a that, knife that you use dude, like to g- cut giant stuff knife right? in the kitchen yeah oh my goodness
0: uh adventures in the culinary underbelly is what the subtitle is mm-hmm. and i mean he really does make it so realistic. I've actually talked to a few people since I've read it that aren't in the culinary industry. And for them, it's just sort of like a peek, you know? A peek behind the line, like, what's it really like in the kitchen?
1: Yeah, who are these people that cook our food when we go out on dates and stuff? Yeah.
0: And he was actually afraid, he had mentioned um, in the past that he was afraid to be so honest. Uh, Obviously, that's kind of like you know, the cornerstone of his career was being honest. But at the time he was young and he was new and he hadn't written a book yet and he hadn't done a TV show. And he was like, I want to do this. But at the same time, what if everyone hates me? You know, like what if everyone's like, you know, the way people talk shit in the kitchen? What if everybody's like, uh, I'm never hiring this asshole again? Right. You know, but he took the risk and obviously it paid off and had an opposite effect really because, you know, like we were talking about it's a tome to many people it's a bible it's you know although it doesn't paint us in a perfectly positive light Mm -hmm. well we're not perfect and you know food is food is an adventure and being in the kitchen is definitely an adventure definitely yeah speaking of adventures so we're going to talk a little bit about the positive results of obviously having tony in our lives and even though he's gone there are so many things that he leaves behind for us and i think you know one of the bigger more important things that we agree on is the importance of travel the importance of going out meeting people eating real food going off the beaten path and you know just really respecting other cultures I'm going to quickly read a quote, one that, you know, again, is one of those meme kind of quotes that people write and they, they put out there on their social media pages. This is
1: my favorite quote, too. Is
0: it? Yeah. <laughs> so he says, quote, travel isn't always pretty. It isn't always comfortable. Sometimes it hurts. It even breaks your heart. But that's OK. The journey changes you. It should change you. You take something with you. Hopefully you leave something good behind. Um, I mean, you've done even more traveling than I have, and I do a lot of traveling. Right. Recently, yeah. you've done more traveling than me. And how do
1: you feel about that quote? Well, you know, traveling is definitely like, it's not about just exploring the place that you're at. It's also about, like, exploring yourself, mm-hmm. basically. It'll really crack you open because you're not at home. You're not exposed to the, the usual comforts oh, that yeah. you have. And I tend to travel very, you know, um, very humbly. I don't want to stay in a four-star hotel and be so cut off from the people of the place. You know, I, I recently went to a backpacking trip of Southeast Asia. was there for like three or four months, hitting about like eight different countries. And I was on foot the whole time. Just, it just teaches you that everything you need could be fit in one backpack. And it it was about experiencing the moment every Mm -hmm. day. So this quote's like very relevant to me because this is exactly what I took from that journey.
0: I can tell you from my point of view, um, just knowing you and getting, getting to know you over the years, you kind of had gotten to a point where you were like questioning a lot of stuff and you looked a certain way when you left. And then when you came back, you looked totally different. It was almost like a travel facial, or like I, oh my god, like you just looked so much lighter. I don't, I don't, and happier, right. and like your eyes were wider open, and right. like your teeth were wider. I don't know, like I can't explain it's, it. You it's, looked, it's weird. You had like this little aura glow around you. It's weird. Yeah. Um, and I feel like definitely Anthony Bourdain kind of contributed to um a culture in like which meeting him this was something that you know people should do, right? To make your life
1: like better. expand your consciousness basically right. that's what he's trying to say to understand know? other people like here in the u.s we're kind of like stuck on that little track where it's like okay rat race uh, i wake up i go to work and you know i go to the gym afterwards and what's for dinner or so on and so forth i try to escape my life during the weekends and that doesn't leave a lot of room for like discovering and getting to know how other people live and respecting that it's actually a very humbling experience Especially with like uh, uh, those uh, poor and depressed Southeast Asian countries where, you know, you meet the little children selling dollar trinkets in the street and they're barefoot and you know that they won't have a chance to education. and They probably won't be able to leave that probably five mile radius where they were born. And then it kind of
0: makes you realize that your problems might be less. Exactly, exactly.
1: And you kind of like feel this oneness for everybody around you when you travel. One
0: of the things I know I remember from many episodes um, of Parts Unknown is that idea that, you know, he's kind of showing this, you know, revealing this underbelly. <laughs> right, underbelly. <laughs> but also at the same time giving reverence to it which I thought was also different and interesting. It's like, you're not only seeing it like, oh, I'm better off than they are, like, I should be thankful, hashtag, you know, like, appreciate my life, you know, like, right. kind of no, thing. No, no, that's fake. But it's not just that. It's like, beyond that, it's, wait a minute, are these people happy? And might they be happier than me? Mm hmm. And I'll tell you that <laughs> they're all smiling, even though they're they don't have shoes or,
1: yeah. you know, the things that you're describing. I am telling you, especially when I was in Cambodia, mm-hmm. they had that bit of community that actually kept them very happy. That was very eye opening to me because with the very little things that they had and little resources and, you know, they weren't very wealthy. They're not wealthy at all but they put emphasis on their lives it, in terms of like the people that they have and the food that they eat, and I think that's super quality. Instead of, like, here where, you know, we're, like, freaking out because, like, oh, we're stuck in traffic or there's not enough shrimp in my salad. You know, right. like, kind of like first world problems. Oh, it, super. Like, they have real problems over there, but they kind of put it in perspective as long as, you know, like, I have a roof over my head. Right. And, like, my family with me. That's real appreciation. And yeah. And, and we eat every day. We're, no, we're not starving. And, and they're able to do so much for their community afterwards. Like this guy I stayed with, he turned the back of his house into like this after-school program where um, Cambodian kids can, can learn English. And it was great because they were interacting with all the guests from the, uh, I wouldn't say it's a hostel, it's more of like a stay type deal, like family house mm-hmm. or something. But, yeah, and we had the chance to teach these kids and interact with them, and it was a great experience. You know, we ate with them, we uh, played football with them, and we just basically just
0: chopped it up the whole time. You basically got to be Anthony Bourdain for a period of months. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And And would you do it again?
1: Yeah, in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat. I think that'll be a part of, like, my life moving forward. I'm going to take at least six weeks and just tune out. Because right. all of a sudden, you know, it wasn't – my life wasn't dictated by, like, i got to be at work at this certain time. Like, I woke up when it was time to wake up. Right. Every day was an adventure. You know, I asked myself, are you hungry? Do you want to eat? What do you want to eat? It was just like – You bourdained. A, like, a <laughs> really, really, like, free for all, basically. Yeah. And I slept when I was tired. And, you know, like, it was gratifying. It was so gratifying.
0: So – I really think that this is maybe his greatest achievement is, you know, doing that for us, giving us that peek into other worlds and other cultures and and having reverence for them and respect for them. Uh, with that traveling, uh, the constant traveling for him. So for yeah. you and for me, it's like six weeks. That's awesome. Like, I mean, to be able to do that, it's amazing. Or a right. month. Or for me, maybe like yeah. a week or two, you know, like where I can go somewhere else. For him he was saying that he traveled like something like 250 days a year. And so for him, it went beyond um, being a thing where, you know, it was, uh, I mean, obviously it was a privilege. He said that a lot of times, but it was also a little bit of a burden for him Mm -hmm. because it felt very lonely at times because he was just constantly on this journey and like never really like, sometimes he said he didn't even know where his home was, even though he had a home, he had, he was like, Where am I? Where the hell am I? It's like, you know, when rock stars go on, like, he's a culinary rock star. Right. So it's like, when rock stars go on tour, it's like, Wait, what city are we in today? Like, you know, exactly. they have to actually give like rock stars like a freaking sign that says, You're in San Francisco. We're you know what I mean? Here. And I'm sure like he has that, but he has that to like the nth degree because it's like, he's not just going like across the country or like going to Europe and US. He's like, Literally everywhere. Like Antarctica kind of places. Yeah. Occupational
1: hazard for him.
0: Yeah. I feel kinda
1: bad. But you know, there are places that will leave you a little bit more lonely than the others. Like other places are warmer, you know?
0: And he did that day in and day out. Yeah. And so you have to kind of wonder, like, you know, what did this kind of do to his mental state? And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, you know, had been have been examining that over the last year, not just about, you know, being alone and depression, but just Things that make our lives, you know, in the kitchen and that that culinary lifestyle something that's challenging and that can affect your mental health. Uh, Coming up in the next few weeks, we're going to be talking with psychologists about, you know, how to cope with that, how to look for signs of like depression and people on the brink. We're also going to be talking to some people and, and relaying our own stories about, you know, what we've gone through in the kitchen and how our mental health has been, you know, at, at times challenged as well. Uh, obviously, this is a very serious topic. Right. We're going to have, like, cool guests on weekly. Um, we're going to be talking about cook life, chef life, cooking, you know, food, sustainability, all kinds of, like, things that we think are interesting and hope you'll find interesting as well. We're also going to be covering, you know, fun topics like, you know, what are your favorite movies? What are your favorite shows? Uh, What are your favorite
1: restaurants? Right. No, like informational stuff. Like what kind of knife should I buy? Or, you know, like what tools do you have in your kitchen?
0: What are some mistakes that you, that you do, (laughs) that you do sometimes in like your personal kitchen, like that kind of stuff. And we're going to be having some experts and some people that, you know, we look up to, Uh, giving us some tips as well because, you know, this whole thing is a big journey Mm. uh, for us and we hope it will be for you as well. Uh, So we're going to go ahead and wrap
1: things up by telling you a little bit about where you can reach us. All right. Uh, We are Two Sharp Chefs and a Microphone and you can reach us on Instagram at Two Sharp Chefs, on Facebook at Two Sharp Chefs and a Microphone, and our website at two com, And please send us
0: questions, send us comments, give us some, like, podcast ideas. Okay. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And, uh, you know, this is something that we've committed to, to doing hopefully weekly. That's our plan. Um, we have at least, you know, a half dozen episodes podcast coming up uh in the next few weeks and thank you so much for joining us for now this is two sharp chefs and a microphone with Lorraine and Lou we'll see you next time ciao